Okay, morning. Good morning. It's really good to be with you today. I don't know if you guys have ever played um, dominoes. So I, I loved watching people play dominoes. It wasn't my favorite thing to do, but my brother used to do it all the time. You know, you, you kind of get uh, um, all of these things and, and you just set them up. You know, one by one, you have to get the perfect distance and, and it goes all the way around the living room, around the couches, under the bed. It takes hours, you know, to, to put together. I don't know if you've ever watched someone play dominoes or if you have played dominoes. My favorite domino is the first one. It's the first domino because the first domino is the thing that sets everything in motion, you know. And, and, and there was uh, this one time where my brother had taken half a day to uh, build, you know, these lines of dominoes. And like any good older brother would do, I just did one thing. It was just one thing. It wasn't a big thing. I did one thing, this one thing, and it changed everything in our relationship, in the dynamic of the days, in the way that my parents interacted with me. I pushed that first domino. And life was different from that point. Now, today, uh, I know the crowd's trying to bait me here, but, but today, my prayer and my hope, maybe, is that our brother, the Lord Jesus, would put his finger on one thing, just one thing in our lives, and that that one thing might potentially change everything. Today, as you join us in this series, Bank on God, I've been thinking about, Lord, give me wisdom. How do I speak about stewardship? And, and like you, you know, we're called to, to look after the things that God entrusts us to look after. And so I could have addressed, you know what, everything that you have is a gift, and I could have addressed that, that God wants us to use these gifts that he gives us to make it grow. And I could have addressed that he will, we will have to give an account of how we have stewarded or looked after the gifts that have come from his hand. But today I thought before I get to stewardship, I want to talk maybe about this one thing that potentially could affect everything. Because my sense is for many of us, uh, we may be in a place when it comes to our relationship with God where we feel like there's this blockage. We feel maybe that we're stagnant. It's a little bit stale in our relationship with God. Maybe we've even grown a bit sleepy. You know, oh, here we go again. We're gonna talk about a bank on God series. Oh, here we go again. And there's a bit of a sleepiness and a void. But if you're honest, you still have this longing to see God active in your life. In, in, in the life of your family, in the life of, of your church, you still want to be useful. And so today, God, would you put your finger on just one thing, one domino, the first domino that potentially could affect every single other domino in our lives as we seek to honor him. And to do that, I want to dive into an account where Jesus interacts with a guy who's referred to as the rich young ruler. When you look at the three eyewitness accounts, some of them refer to him as a person that had great wealth. One of the authors referred to him as someone who's really young. Another author says that he was a ruler, so he, he, he would lead at significant levels. And we'll also look at in this account that he was religious. 
probably far more, far more religious definitely than, than me. This guy, the rich, young, religious ruler. Ladies, you see, when Jesus was interacting with this man uh, in the congregation, if you were a single lady, you would look at this guy and you would say, Jesus, tell him, tell him to marry me. You know, he, he, he would have made um, our hearts and our, our mouths salivate. Everything about him was, was just, I think, perfect and beautiful. He, he was just this, this good human being, salt of the earth. And don't we want people like that as a part of our communities of faith? You know, these upstanding citizens. And Jesus interacts with this rich, young, gorgeous, religious ruler. Well, that's what I have in my sanctified imagination anyway. And he addresses this one thing in his life. So as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So we see a real sense of humility. You know, we sing the songs. This guy would be on his knees singing the songs. Not many of us do that, but, but he does that. You see, there's a humility here. And then he says, good teacher. Because Jesus had just given a teaching about children and how children are the ones that can in- inherit the kingdom of God because they're dependent uh, and, and, and they, they don't have this sense of pride about them. So he butts in and he says, oh, you're a good teacher. And then he asks a question that I don't think many wealthy or rich people ask because in a sense, they don't need to ask this question. But there's, a, there's wisdom to this young boy. There's wisdom to this guy. He, he, maybe it was because he, he saw that his medical aid couldn't bail him out, out of, of every scenario in his life. His insurance couldn't cover him entirely. And, and so he, he kind of maybe, he, with wisdom, wanted to ask this good teacher this question. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, we're addressing not just life and death. Today, he asks a question about eternal destiny, about eternal realities. Lord, whether I believe it or not, I just, I just wanna know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a great question? Isn't it a great question for wealthy people to ask? Isn't it a great question for all of us to ask? And so, Lord, help me unpack how you address this question because it is seriously significant. The stakes are high this morning. Now, if someone came and asked me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I would give them the church Christian answer. You need to repent and believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. Isn't that the answer that you would give? Trust in the Lord, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, da-da-da-da-da, that's the answer I would give. God, he just surprises me. Jesus, he just answers things so differently. It's like tailor-made. And so this is what Jesus does in his answer. Firstly, why do you call me good? I just wanna know, why do you call me good? Because this rich young ruler, this boy, he has categories of what's good, and what's bad? You know, he, he looks at people around him and he thinks, I'm worse than that guy, but I'm better than those people. He's got these categories of good and bad. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And then Jesus answered, no one is good. Imagine if we put that on our fridges. 
you know, no one is good. You know, I know that you look at life and you look at people and you look at the circles that you roll in and you look at the churches that you worship in, but, but no one is good. Because my boy, if you hold that view, then when you look at people that you're better than, you're gonna have pride and you're gonna look down on people. My Father in heaven doesn't permit that. And, and when you look at people that are better than you, you're gonna be insecure. You're gonna be anxious. You're gonna feel like you don't measure up. That's not what my Father in heaven desires for you. So let's just come to the conclusion that no one is good, truly good, except God alone. This is surprising, guys. Track with me. What is Jesus doing here? If you're gonna address me as good teacher, then I'm hoping that you're understanding that you could be talking to the living God because no one else is good except God alone. So if you give me that title, then just realize whose presence you are in this morning. And Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments. Interesting, and not you do the commandments. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, and shall not give false testimony, and shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus unpacks the last six commandments. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. I've been in Sunday school all my life. I've sat under the teaching of my parents all my life. Since I was a tiny tot, I have kept these commandments. Is this how I inherit eternal life? And in his categories of goodness, who's bad and who's not, who's in and who's out, and with his religious upbringing, Jesus puts his finger on one thing. He says, really? Really, have you kept the commandments of God since you were a little boy? Do you really believe that you're that good? Do you really believe that you have that much or those levels of integrity? The most challenging idea in this whole account for me are these words. Jesus looked at him and loved him. We think that God does not love wealthy people. We think that he's got something against those kinds of people. Maybe, I don't know. But I think the disciples were around Jesus and they saw something physically change in him. I don't know if you've ever looked at someone, looked at your child, looked at another person and you've welled up with emotion. You know, it's like a frog runs up your throat. I think Jesus choked up looking at this young, wealthy, righteous, religious ruler. I think maybe tears started streaming down the face of Christ as he looked at this boy and he loved him. He choked up over him. He longed for him. And it's out of that heart that he says, my boy, but there is this one thing. There is this one thing I wanna talk about this morning. There is this one thing in you that I wanna address. There is this one domino that if I can knock it over in your life, everything in your life will change. There's this one thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have 
treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Can I be honest? This verse took my breath away. This is not a verse we want to read. I wrestled with it. I honestly thought, okay, if I, if I take stock, if I take inventory of everything that you have given me, Lord, must I go and sell everything, accumulate that money, and then go and give it to the poor in order to inherit eternal life? Must I do that, Lord, before I move further? But I can't do that. And then I justify and I say, he doesn't really mean that, and then I water it down. But what if Jesus does actually mean that? What if every single person here today had to go and sell everything and give it to the poor? The church would be empty next week because this is not the kind of message we want to hear. We don't want God to speak to us this way. Anyway, I, I kind of came out of this wrestle and, and we need real wisdom and discernment as we look at what Jesus means here because it's very unique. Jesus addresses this area and this one thing in this person's life, but he addresses other people differently. I don't think Jesus is against wealth. Abraham was wealthy. Isaac was wealthy. Peter, the very disciple next to Jesus, he owned a house. Joseph, who, who purchased a tomb or, or did something with the body of Christ, was wealthy. Mary, who housed all the disciples, had a very big house in the early church. So he's not against wealth here but he's putting his finger on this one thing in this person's life. Why? You know, the woman at the well, he didn't even address wealth. He engages with this woman and he says, I want you to go and call your five husbands because she was looking to relationship for something. That was the one thing. And here he puts his finger on the bank account of this wealthy, young, rich, religious ruler. Go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It's very unique. What is Jesus after here? Why is he engaging with this guy this way? Why does he engage with us this way? And we learn that he is asking this religious person who has categories of good and bad to obey just the very first commandment. Oh, you say you have kept these since you were a little boy. Well, let's just start with number one. Love God more than anything. When you sing that song, Jesus, all I want is you. I want you to realize you don't actually sing those words with complete integrity. He was unable to obey even the first commandment. Let's not talk about the other nine. And as he had this veneer of religiosity, Jesus says, but there's a second thing going on here. The reason I'm putting my finger on this one thing in your life is because you are looking to your salvation in material possessions. That's your real salvation. That's where you're looking to be saved. Think about it, rich young ruler. What gives you a voice around the table at boardrooms? What gives you significance? What, what makes you feel worthy? What makes you feel successful? What makes you feel as if you are receiving the blessing of God in your life? It's your wealth. That's your real salvation. You see, with your wealth, you are able to almost bail yourself out of every single scenario in life, but not when it comes to inheriting eternal life. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't deal with us on those deceptive grounds. 
At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, he came with a question, and he realized, I don't know what was going on in this, in this, in this boy's life, but he realized, I'm actually unable to do that. This is the thing I have to have because this is what gives me my worth and my identity and my salvation. I, I can't do that. And he went away sad. Let me tell you those words for people who find their identity and their salvation in wealth. They are so true. If I were to put words over the city of gold, over Johannesburg, I would put these words, he went away sad. Pastoring in that context, we used to see people come down the hill from all the major head offices in our land, and they would come down the hill to our local church in their suits, with their ties, pristinely dressed. They smelt amazing. And they would come into our offices, and they had a life characterized by sadness. Sniffing coke, tossing and turning, uh, these levels of anxiety and sleepless nights because wealth is my salvation. This is what I'm pursuing. This is what I'm giving my time to, my life. It is my life. And they went away sad because they walk away from Christ who is your life. Sometimes we would pass and say, guys, just give up those shares. Give that up. It's ruining you. It's wrecking you. Unable to. They'd walk away sad. I love this quote from the Dalai Lama. He says, man sacrifices his health in order to make money. And then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die, and then he dies, having never really lived. He walked away sad. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God. And then he gives this metaphor. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now I know that people have a take on what the camel was and what the eye of the needle is. It's this gate into a city and maybe the camel meant this rope. I think Jesus is saying, take a camel with two humps and take a sewing needle. The camel cannot go through the eye of the needle. Through It is impossible. Possible. It's a metaphor of impossibility. It's impossible. It's beyond this rich young ruler to be liberated from this pursuit of identity. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And that's my response. When I look at us this morning, when I look at my life, when I come under this text, Lord, honestly, who then can inherit eternal life? Is there anybody? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now I have heard this verse and used this verse 
in my assumption to say, if we are battling financially, if we are battling uh, to, to make ends meet, if we are battling, we have a God who can do impossible things. But in this context, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If you are battling with material possession as your wealth and your identity and your anxiety and your sleepless night and your life characterized by sadness, God can liberate you from your pursuit of wealth. He can do impossible things in that area in our hearts and in our lives. And that surprises me. Then I love Peter. He speaks up. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And I think as we confess this to God, it takes on different meaning at different times of our lives. There is something so genuine about Peter here, and yet when we look at all its scripture, he turned his back on God. But there is a heart posture here and a desire of, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. These words have been in my mind and in my heart and in the hearts of our family this week. You know, my family, we have these traditions that we celebrate this week, and uh, my boy is engaging in sports fixtures that mean a lot to my whole broader extended family, and we're sending WhatsApp videos, and, and Opa and Granny and, and Curse Mama are, are in tears, and we don't get to share these things together because of distance. And I, and I say these words, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Now, we haven't really, but it's an emotional cry. You, you know what I mean? And sometimes we think when we surrender, in the way that the rich young ruler was being called to surrender, we think we've got this killjoy God who just wants to take it away, you know? He wants us to live in poverty. He wants us to, to be uh, in, in, this, in this kind of place of, of, of difficulty and trouble depending on him. And then this text surprises us again. He doesn't just take it away. He says, Peter, I tell you something. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me, for me, all I want is you, Lord, for me and for the gospel. Lord, what is the gospel? Is it obeying the Ten Commandments? Is it having a veneer of religiosity? Is it knowing the Sunday school stories since I've been a boy or a little girl? What is the gospel in this passage? Where is the liberation and the freedom? I'm gonna answer that now. But Jesus says, fields, children, homes, moms, fathers, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much. In this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution. Along with persecution. And in the age to come, eternal life. Isn't that interesting? Why does Jesus say to the rich young ruler, I want you to give this up, but then I'm gonna give you a hundred times more? Isn't that weird? And I think it's a little bit maybe like Valentine's Day. Some of us maybe sit here and say, I have to have that partner. I have to have a spouse. I have to have that woman. I have to have that man. I have to have it. I can't live without it. I have to have it. If you have to have it, then you're not safe to live with it because you're codependent and anxious and controlling and, and it will ruin that person. And it's the same as we interact with money. If we can't surrender it, we're not safe to have it. 
because we're unable to steward it in the way that God calls us to steward it. And then Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. My, my family and I were at the airport, and I'm a competitive guy, and we're about to board the plane. Now the queues are long, so I use my kids in these scenarios, and I'm competitive to get to the front of the line, to go to gate D. And I get these eyes, and I, but I just brush it off, and I, you know, because I want to be first in life. I mean, in line. That's what I want to be. And we get there. Second, but I put my head ahead of the guy, so we first. And then the sound from heaven says, uh, departure to Durban. Uh, please uh, go to gate D. No, C, because we were at gate D. Please depart from gate D. And the whole queue turns around. And we are at the back. And we will hear that call outside of ourselves one day from heaven. And we'll be very surprised like the rich young ruler, wanting to make it in life, wanting to get first in the queue, looking to our wealth for our salvation and our identity. And heaven will say this cry, please turn around and enter through gate D. And those who are first will be lost. And those who are lost will be first. So what do we learn as we wrap this up from this account, what, what do we learn from what Jesus is saying to us? Well, I was struck with this image, and I don't know if it's mythology or a, an historical account, but they say that in the south part of India, they used to try and catch these monkeys, and what the hunters would do is that they would put grains of rice into a coconut, and as this monkey would put its hand into the coconut and grab the rice, uh, it would not let go. It would not surrender. It had to have this one thing. And because of that, uh, its fist would get stuck when, when trying to pull out its hand fr from this, um, the, the, the kind of open uh, incision in the coconut. And then the hunter would line up and would or would take an arrow. And when I look at many of our lives, and when God looks at many of our lives, this is what walking away with sadness looks like. We commit eternal suicide when we hold on to rice, and we will not let go and surrender. And there are three things that I learned from this image that might apply to you, but they do apply to me. Number one, what Jesus is saying today is impossible. It's impossible with man. It is impossible for us to let go. It is impossible for us to obey the law. It is impossible for us to get right with God. The rich young ruler, as he sat in his bedroom, week after week, month after month, he should have seen, how do I... How do I get right with God? How do I inherit eternal life? Is there another way? It's so interesting that the sacrificial system is not mentioned in this account because Jesus is saying, my boy, it is impossible with man, but not with God. We are unable to, to live out the requirements of God. And so here we bump into the gospel 
And this is what Jesus wanted us to bump into. He looked at him with love. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler in the story. He is the one who had the glories of heaven. He is the one that had all the wealth in the earth. He is the one that owned everything. And we read in the scriptures, for your sake, that though he was rich, he became dirt poor. He became so poor, he had his father turn his back on him. He experienced the sadness we should all experience. He left comfort. He left the glories of heaven. He left the approval. He left everything. He became nothing so that you and me in our poverty, in our nothingness, could become wealthy, could become relationally connected and full to our Father. We must look at the true rich young ruler in the account. I'll leave everything for this gospel. This is the gospel. This is our lives. And when we hold on to grains of rice and we look at the Son of God doing that for me and for us, that is the impossible thing. We can surrender. We can surrender. And we can worship and we can say thank you. This is what makes me right with my Father in heaven. This is how I can truly know he looks at us today and he loves us. And thirdly, it helps us understand whether this miracle has happened. Go and sell everything. And it is in this context, and it is out of this liberation, and out of this freedom, and out of this place, that we can then start our sermon on stewardship. And honestly, from this place, I just wanted to leave us with a tangible image. As we think about the ideas of we've left everything. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this guiding uh, instruction for worship of, hey, when it comes to worshiping God, give 10%. Jesus changes everything because Christians should give honestly to the floor. And so a litmus test of the miraculous, impossible work that God has done in our lives. Really, we don't need to look further than our bank accounts and how we steward our finances before God. And so what I want us to do and consider this week and to turn it into an encounter with Christ. God, you've done something impossible. God, you are beautiful and you did that for me. I want you to take your communion cup filled with grains of rice and I want you to put this in your wallet and I want you to take this card that I forgot to mention last week. It should have actually been plastic but our printers didn't pull it off and put this in your wallet and when you look at it and when you interact, say, Lord, this is, this is the place that I'm giving from. Lord, we've left everything for you and for the gospel, because this gospel, this gospel of your intervention and grace, that is beautiful. And I'll leave everything for it. Let's pray together.